Actually, we're going to be in Psalm 119. I think we left off last week right around verse 119. And I want to start around the room. We're going to do kind of like what Pastor Olson did, and we're going to discuss some of these verses. I have plenty of notes, but I thought we could maybe all work together this morning. And verse Psalm 119, 120. Matthew, could you start and read that verse? Mm-hmm. What could we say about that? Anybody? What do you think about that verse? Lisey. Right. Amen. That's a great point. It says, even my flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. What is the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord. Amen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and if we have that fear inside of us, it'll cause us to pay attention to what's important, what's really important. A lot of things in life that seem important, but what's very important is what the Lord tells us what's important. And He says, to pay attention to my judgments and, and, to, and, and to have a godly fear. It's called a godly fear. It's a righteous fear. And it's not a fear of, at least he's talking about, basically, you know, ha- having, that, having what, what Micah did. And there's all kind of examples all through Scripture where the fear of the Lord not only saved one life, but saved a whole family's life. Saved a whole generation's life, a nation's life. Look at Noah. Look at the fear of the Lord. And talking about lonely, I hear, I've heard a lot of numbers come through over the years about the number of pastors and the number of teachers and all that quit the ministry. And it's a staggering number. I can't remember exactly the number, but it's a very high percentage in the United States of America now because of the problem of just, just feeling totally um, ingratitude from their congregations and the people around them, and they kind of fizzle out. And basically, here Noah spends a good part of the first part of his life witnessing and preaching and teaching the Word of God and warning the people that the Lord told him that there was going to be a great flood. And they laughed at him. And the Lord spared him. But he had fear of the Lord and he did exactly what the Lord told him and it spared his family. We There's so many examples all throughout Scripture regarding that. We see that David appeals to God and he says, I have done judgment. I have done justice. But David did. Many times he failed. And David is saying that he had not hindered the right or the responsibility in his kingdom to pay attention to the Lord. There's so many burdens that had come upon him. He had a lot on him. And it's, if you look at 2 Samuel 8, 15, And David reigned over all Israel, and David executed judgment and justice unto all of his people. And he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he... The fear of the Lord is what would bring him out of that sin. And that's so important. Um, Charlie, could you read verse 121 and we'll look at that verse. Thank you, Charlie. What does any, anybody can, what can we glean from that? Anyone?
That's right. Having a king is a little bit different, a uh, little bit of different judicial system than we're used to. It's amazing how the United States judicial system is very much fashioned after the Roman um, forum and the Roman, the, the imperial Roman um, legislation system, where there's a series of laws. Of course, the United States of America tried to, re, tried to refine that with our forefathers, with a constitution and a bill of rights predicated on the law of God, which was very simple to understand. And down through the ages, down through the last several hundred years, it's been amended, it's been amended, and there's so much paperwork, there's so much legislation now. Judgment and justice has now become very confusing <laughs> as to what can actually happen in a court of law when you go in there. I could give several examples, but it's very confusing now. David had justice and judgment. He had to preside over some very serious matters. You only get a compendium in scriptures about what he had to go through. But not only was he had, having to assemble armies, he's praying to God, the Lord's telling him exactly what to do, and he's telling him, I have given this, this, wicked, um, this wicked pagan nation into your hands, I've given them and the Philistines into your hands, I've given the Amorites into your hands, and all of this, he's presiding over all of that, and then having all these... Very difficult family matters, and on top of it, giving justice and judgment to the local people. He was still presiding over the elders that had their families, the Israelites, that they would come to him when they had problems. And they would get the priests involved. They would get his pastor later on, Nathan, involved. And he had a lot on him, but he was a sinner. And, and Lisey. It's a good, good, good book. Right. But what's he? But what he? That's that's great. What is he saying? When you think about it, if to David, if judgment is so important, what is he talking about? Responsibility. He's saying there must be a standard. There has to be a standard that we live by, that we go back to when we get into all these problems we have and we see what's going on around us, whether it be the borders, whether it be what's going on up in Maine, what's happening, and now two more states are trying to get Trump off the ballots. It's totally unconstitutional. I would say that if they were getting, even if they were getting Joe Biden off the ballots, I would say still that's unconstitutional. I don't want to ever see that man back in the White House. He shouldn't be there. But... But they, they, that's unconstitutional. Where's our standard, Dave? And Texas. But, but still, it has to be. I'm all, I would be personally all for that if it goes through their General Assembly and it's properly voted upon. I, have a very, I think that the Insurrection Act that was put after the war between the states is a very weak law. And what it was predicated on was definitely not something our forefathers would have agreed with if you study it. Marianne. What did you say, Dave? Yeah, they're looking to take him off the ballot. And basically the thing that happened up in Maine was a show. 
I mean, that, that hadn't even been discussed in the House of Representatives and the Senate up there. It just, it was basically the Attorney General came out with it. Dave. Right. Exactly. And the point is, I mean, you, if you're going to look at justice and judgment, you have to look at our legislation. How can you not look at that? I know there are a lot of churches that refuse to talk about politics and government. I'm totally against that. I've made that very clear in our presbytery and everywhere that I go that I think it's very important to bring that up. But when you look at the different policies, how does one man have the authority the very day that he's in office to abrogate and write executive orders against everything that had been built four years prior that had been properly voted on. How does one man get to do that when you have a system of checks and balances and a very, very good system of, of legislation in your country? You have the three system of checks and balances. And there's so many things that we can see, and the reason it's important to see that is because you can differentiate what is right and what is wrong when you're watching these things and apply them. We spent a lot of time in homeschooling, taking our kids. We went, took them to uh, different historical places and tried to ha have these things explained to give them an understanding of what's really going on. And so justice and judgment is very important. What is justice? We have to look at God himself and say, is he a just God? When horrible things happen, is he just and does he have the right to do what he does? Does he? Uh, of course he does. His mercy and his long-suffering is incredible. It's more than we'd ever give each other. And the way he judges us and the way he looks, he, could, he said, I, I remember that we are, the Lord remembers that we are all but dust and he has mercy upon us. Even in the hardest times that we have, he is there. And we have a just God. But what we pray for as Christians is his mercy. Because if we pray for his justice and he gave us what we deserved, who could stand? David said that himself. Who could stand with all of that? So justice and judgment is extremely important to look at. And David knew that he was a sinner. How could he have done judgment and justice in his own life? He practiced begging forgiveness for his sins. And there was only, there was only, there was one time, and especially one of different times that David was, was really in abject sorrow over his sins. And what happened with the infancy of with Bathsheba and the baby died. And after all this happened, David cries out and he says to the Lord, Behold, I was shaped. He lowers. Here's the king of the northern and southern, the northern and southern kingdoms over in Israel. And there he is. And he cries out and he's the king. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I think that's fascinating because a man of that type of power, where do you see that in the monarchs or the kingdoms or the emperors? Or where do you see that in a man like Justin Trudeau up in Canada or Joe Biden? Where do you see that with Barack Obama or Joe, Bi Joe Biden? You know what you find out about those three? Those three are one of the three prominent members of the list that were down on Epstein Island. That just came out this week. Can you imagine that? I don't know if you've been following that, but I'm not even going to repeat some of the things that went down on that island, and they were all there participating in it. Yeah, Trudeau, he was down there. Michelle Obama was down there. Bill Clinton was the third most participant of the whole list. He was there several times. <laughs> Boy, we wouldn't expect that. But anyway, my point is, is that here David is the king of the northern and the southern kingdom. 
He has a standard. Justice and judgment, he cries out to God because he knew he had sinned. And he comes back and he says, I acknowledge my sin and it's before me. And he begged for the Lord's justice to be, for the Lord to hear him. But then as he's saying all of this in Psalm 51, he says, all I can say, Lord, is I was shaped in iniquity and sin and my mother conceived me. I am a sinner. Do you know how important that is? He said, in my mother's womb. What is all of this teaching out there that the children have no responsibility to their some age of accountability? That's why we baptize infants. They are sinners. It does not save them. But it's a covenant that we follow that the Lord gave us like circumcision was in the Old Testament. And here, children are called sinners. Now, does that mean the Lord casts them into hell if they're aborted? I doubt that. Our Lord is just, but He's wonderful. And just as David said that that little baby would not come to Him, but that He would go to Him one day, I think that's real clarification that the Lord takes these little babies home. And I really believe that. But still, David had said something extremely important that we need to listen to here. As parents and grandparents, we have to understand. And if you watch very closely parenting and grandparenting skills today, you can watch it on these situation comedies, you can see it on talk shows, you can hear it on the radio. The children own the house. They basically own the house. I don't care what age they are, and I don't care what, what role they play, whether they're a grandchild or a nephew, they rule the house. But if the adults understand what David says here, that they are sinners, you're not punishing them to be a tyrant, you're saving themselves from themselves. It's one thing I've prayed for most, a lot of times is, Lord, save me from myself, because we always trip over ourselves. David says, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. So he was a sinner. He said, and you go all the way to 119, 164, or 164 and verse. So can someone read, go, go forward and read Psalm 119, 164. I love this. This is very important. This is very applicable. It reminds me of Daniel. Seven times a day, here David had his personal Bible studies. I think that's a wonderful template for what we should be doing. At least once, he goes, because of his judgments, seven times a day do I worship the Lord and all. And here, what do we see? We see a King David that's growing in the Lord. At one point, had some really incredible, absolute invincible times in his life when he went and he defeated Goliath and he hated the blasphemy of Goliath. And the Lord took him, he gave him the perfect stone, put it in the perfect slingshot, the perfect time of day, with the perfect weather, nine-foot giant blaspheming the Lord, and David takes that sling and hits him right between the eyes with it. And he falls down. Remember the little Bible stories to read the kids? He went down with a big thud. <laughs> you know, and you could feel the earth shake. And so basically, what we're learning here, the Lord has all of this. And in the invincible times of David's life, he gets older, he starts faltering. And then he starts faltering. And that's what can happen. And we can, we can go away from the Lord. But he says that I am with you to the ends of the earth. I will never leave you or forsake you. That was before Jesus ever said that. David knew this before Jesus ever said that in the New Testament. And, all. and so David, he's crying out and he's saying, the Lord will be with me. And so we read that verse. Um, can, can I, could Dave, could you read verse 122?
The king. This is the king saying this. What is it? Can anybody talk, say anything about this verse? Here's the king calling himself a servant. Here's the king of the northern and the southern kingdom. I'll say it over and over again. He's saying, I'm the servant. Who's he the servant of? What's he saying? Right. He says, be sure to, there's some key words. Lisey? Thank you, Matthew. Amen. Right. How far are we willing to go with that? How far are things in our hearts good for the decisions that the Lord makes in our lives? Are we willing to take that all the way as far as it goes? Or, or, or is there a certain part that we stop and say, sadly, I've seen this many, many times. I've had enough. I'm done. I don't want to be in the ministry anymore. I don't want to go to church anymore. The Lord's let me down. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm done. Talk about that percentage earlier, about the pastors that drop out. At one point, it was like 16,000 a year. That's how many were dropping out of the ministry. Lisey. Right. Right. We will realize this was a red sea for me because I know I never could have done this if I hadn't walked all the way. Right. And the Lord, He loves that. It, it ravishes His heart when we glance within our and we trust Him with that. Right. And you're right. Sadly, people will not do that. And I confess, you know, I'm, I'm one of them. He's been teaching me to go beyond because we'll stop at a point where our flesh can't handle. That's right. Right. And that means we're never really trusting the Lord that He will do. That's right. So it's just so, it doesn't please Him. In fact, I believe it angers Him. Yeah. Especially when He has given us the kingdom and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Amen. We have to ask ourselves, do we believe that verse? Right. Well, He says, Tempt not the Lord thy God. And that's one of the ways that I believe that we can tempt Him by not trusting in Him. You know, I remember the first. Um, 
I remember the first, uh, um, the first scans came in from my mother. This was been when she was about 58 years old. That would have been roughly, roughly about 1999 or 2000, whatever it was. And the scans came in that she had cancer. So, of course, we started praying. Everyone in the church was praying. We were praying, and we thought, we're praying hard. The Lord will take care of this. Every report from that point forward that she got down the line for the next three years got worse and worse and worse until the writing was on the wall. It was to, to the point where there wasn't much left. See, the last few weeks were really tough weeks for her. And I remember praying. I remember praying with people here. I remember praying a, a lot. And then the Lord took her. And I'll never forget going to, after the funeral, my father went up, he kneeled down on the grave, and he started crying, and he said, Lord, forgive me for being so selfish and not trusting your will. And he prayed for the kids, he prayed for us, and I'll never forget that. He, he, even, he even asked the Lord forgiveness for being selfish, for wanting his wife to live. I'm not saying we should all do that. I mean, that's a tough thing to do, but he was just, he, he, was, at, he was basically pronouncing that he had been compromising what the will of the Lord was, and even ask forgiveness in front of everybody there. That's a hard thing to do. And, I, and you know, there's, there's the things that are going to happen in our lives that are like that. It's tough. And here David's paying, he's the king, and he's saying, as Matthew was talking about, be surety for thy servant. He says, sure me up, have my back. Please have my back because of the oppressors. Does anybody, can, can, any, can we even begin to imagine how many oppressors that David had? From Satan, from the, but he was talking about the, the wiles of Satan and the temptations, down to all those that despised him. They hated him because of, because of the way that he trusted the Lord. He had many pagan nations and many kings. Even his own one that he loved the most, King Saul, pursued him to kill him. His own son pursued him to kill him. And he says, Lord, please be a surety for me. Please have my back. Please have me protected. Please. He is. He is. That's perfect. He's our surety. He's our security. He's more than anything we can... We can't imagine the things that I believe He's going to show us when we go to be with Him all of the times we were so close to death it wasn't even funny or so close to something very dangerous. And I believe He'll show us every bit of that. I believe there are a lot of things that we're going to learn that He's going to show us how wonderful that He was to us. How about Lisi? Could you read verse 123? Mine eyes fail for thy salvation. Well, what does that mean? He, may, he brings up the word salvation. What is he talking about? You got to dig deep for this one. This one's good. We have talked about this. We talked about this back with Paul preaching and what he was talking about. What do you think, Matthew? Right. It's it's not it's not it's certainly not sarcastic. He's making a confession. I believe this is more of a confession than anything else. Lisi. He's longing. The whole, all the verses back that up. That's a very good way of looking at it. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation. He, I, 
you read commentaries, you dig into this and you study and you'll find this out. He's saying, I'm not Christ. He says, mine eyes fail for thy salvation. You're perfect. Lord, your salvation. And I fail. I am a failure without Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I mean, if that's not the whole meeting there, that's what he's pointing to. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. He's speaking about Jesus Christ plainly there because who is the Logos? Who's the word? John 1.1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. He's the word. He's the ultimate word. But wait a minute. David's the king. Isn't he the final word? Where does the king need, where does he need help? Well, this brilliant king knows that he needs help from the king on high. He knew that he was not the king of the universe. He knew that the Lord had given him this little period of time to reign over the northern southern kingdom. He knew that he was growing older, and he knew that he needed a standard. And you read Psalm 119, and it's very obvious that David was an old age when he was writing this. And he looks back, and he says, Thou art my salvation. And he says, And for the word of thy righteousness... I truly believe, once again, that I believe he had the writings of Moses. He had them in his hand. And I believe that he read them, and I believe that a lot of what he wrote himself and what he said came from the writings of Moses and came from Job in the hard times that Job, Job was facing. David's eyes had failed for the salvation of the Lord. He petitioned the Lord in his weakness. And here we see the humility of David. He was a master poet a master musician, an, or, an oratory genius. He was a king, a warrior. He was a victor. And David melts at the feet of Christ, begging for his help, and he needed Christ to be his guide and his helper. And the key word here is salvation. Can someone read Acts chapter 4, verses 10 to 12? This is Peter. He's standing before the council. Peter goes before the council, and he speaks. And here, at once, there's Peter that had thrice denied the Lord Jesus Christ, which I think it's, Peter gets way too much recognition for that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that he's uplifted for that, but people talk about that way more than they do this. And here, Peter had grown, and look at what he writes here. Yes, thank you. That's perfect. Thank you, Teresa. Look at the massive theology that's in those verses where Peter comes back and says there is no salvation under heaven than that of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. David rested in his salvation. And I've just said, as I said before, that David's pleas to the Lord are very reminiscent of Job. I love the book of Job, and I've read it, I've studied it, I need to study it more because there's so much in there. The literary style is very close between King David and Job. And look at what Job says, following the unbridled assault of accusations that came from Bildad the Shuhite, and even before all of this is written, 
Look at what Job says, and I'd like to look at this for a minute. And what I want before we read this is to look at the salvation that Job had because of what? What is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen? What is it? Yes, for by it the elders obtain a good report. Job in and of himself was an elder. And Job, the book of Job, probably was the oldest book written in Scripture. That's not confirmed, but it goes way, way back, right around not far from the time of Noah. And here Job, look at, look at what he says. And um, someone, I'd like to give someone here the opportunity to read these verses. Uh, these verses are powerful. Job chapter 19, read verses 17 through 26. And we'll talk about this. That'll probably finish, the, finish us this morning. But I'd like to look at this. That's Job 19, 17 through 26. Amen. Excellent. Thank you, Marianne. There's not much left to say about that, is there? Look at the abject sorrow. He says, if my body were given for my children, even my wife despises my breath. He was covered with boils. Bildad had just landed on him. His great friends were there, and they were just letting him have it, saying all of this was his fault. You lose one child and somebody blames it on you? How's that going to make you feel? He lost 10. He lost all of his cattle. It said when he went into the town, people looked at him with great, with, 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 with great gladness and great joy because he was such a leader. And he lost all of it, every bit of it. But then he comes with everything more than we could ever even imagine losing in our lives. He comes back and he uses a key word. My Redeemer liveth. We don't see that all the way until the New Testament. He says, my Redeemer liveth. You talk about faith unspeakable with this man. I mean, we're blessed to have like, what, how, how was it, what, 41 chapters in the book of Job? 
I mean, you ever have t- troubles? Go to the book of Job. I mean, I have. I just, it's incredible what this, this faith, this man's faith was. He says, and though my skin, worms destroy this body. He goes, worms can eat my body and nothing left of my bones, but my soul will be with my Savior. And that's what he's saying. He had faith. There was an unfeigned faith. Look at some quotes here about faith that I have here. And faith, it, sometimes life takes, a, takes real turns. Here's, here's a, I have five quotes about faith. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Who else could better write this than Corey Tenboom? She wrote this. Look at what she went through. The word hope I take for faith, and indeed hope is nothing else but the constancy of faith. John Calvin. What a, what a powerful, powerful um, description of faith here. Faith begins with a backward look at the cross, but it lives with a forward look at the promises. That came from John Piper. I thought that was a great statement on faith. Faith is a living and unshakable confidence, a belief in the grace of God, so assured that a man would die a thousand deaths for its sake. Martin Luther. And in our hearts as Christians, we should want to die a thousand deaths to have faith in Jesus Christ. Sainthood lies in the habit of referring the smallest actions to God. Faith is the art of holding on to the things you reason and has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. No matter what we say, no matter what our moods are, we need to still have faith in the Lord as, as hard as we can have faith. Yesterday took a lot of faith. Yesterday, my daughter's getting ready to come in here in a few minutes. Yesterday, we went out to the store and her dear little friend texted her and said, my father went to work this morning and he had a cardiac arrest. 52 years old. He was a Baltimore City policeman. Yesterday was an incredible day. And this Baltimore City policeman, he was working security up at the hospital and he went into cardiac arrest and the Lord took him home that quick, leaving back several children and a wife. And so it was a very difficult day. We talked back and forth. Rachel faithfully talked back and forth to her little friend there. And we drove her down. She said, I really want to be with you. And so we went down into the city off of Parkside Drive. We walk in, and there's her grandmother sitting there. It was her middle son. Her middle son. This dear woman, we got a chance to talk and pray with her. Her husband passed away at 33 years old in Arkansas when he, he was in a single-engine plane crash, and she raised all those children by herself. Precious lady who was a nurse and by herself raised all those kids. 77 years old, and she wanted us to pray with her. And we had the honor, and Rachel did a wonderful job, and Noah with her friend, and they were hugging her. Uh, Maya, she's, a, she's their friend. And we prayed with her. So we went down there, and this, is, this, is what, this perfectly goes right into what we're talking about because of the faith that it takes when these things come out of nowhere. And to yesterday morning, this precious man gets up to take care of his family, and he's gone. And now they're dealing with this for the next several days. This isn't the first time I've heard of something like this happening. This, is, this happened. There's actually, sadly, two or three more cases like this that happened where a gentleman was only either, one was 45, one was 48 that I know of, and they, were, they had kids, they had families, and they just died, had heart attacks out of nowhere. This happened yesterday morning, and now this family is in preparation. Where do you go? What do you do? All I can do, what do you do? I go, R.C. Sproul says, Sometimes you just got to sit there and say nothing. 
There's nothing you could say. He was, he was at the bedside. Remember the quarterback, Bob Greasy, for the Miami Dolphins? Remember him? His wife was a born-again, blood-washed Christian that loved the Lord. And R.C. Sproul sat with her in the last weeks of her life. She was dying of horrible cancer. And she said, Dr. Sproul, she goes, I can't take it anymore. I know, he talked about that several times. I can't take it anymore. The pain was so bad, and he said, all I could do was just sit there and cry with her. I didn't know what to say. Man of a million words, that man could stand there and preach uh, probably as good as anybody you can imagine. And he could preach, and he preached, and he, and, and he taught. He was a prof- He had no words to say. And he just sat there, and he held her hand, and she died. And they talked about the Bible. All he could give to her was the gospel, and for them both in her dying days is to talk about Jesus. And that's it. It gets a little bit serious. It's not funny anymore with all the stupid stuff going on about Jesus out here and all the, these churches doing all these weird things. You know, all this stuff goes out the window when you're in a situation like yesterday with this precious man. It's not funny anymore. And then all of a sudden, these words become gold to us. Where David says, Lord, please be surety for me and please protect me against the oppressor. He's talking about everything. What does he say? David says, if I'm, if I'm in Sheol, the Lord can see me. He said, if I'm anywhere in the world, the Lord can see me. If I'm in heaven, there he is. He's everywhere. And he says, Lord, please pr- protect me from the oppressor. And once again, that quote from Corey Tenboom: faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. I think that's incredible. I guess, uh, let's read one more verse. Teresa, could you read Psalm 119, verse 124, as we're going verse by verse here? Wow. Anybody see a turnaround here in this verse? Real turnaround. What were we talking about before? Now what's he asking for? Well, you should read it again real quick before you say that. Look at the first one. He, he was asking, he was talking about that before, you're right, but now look what he says. Psalm 119, verse 124. What, what's he asking for now? He says, deal with the servant according unto thy mercy. He's like, he was like, <laughs> right. It's like before he's talking about God's judgments and here's the king of the northern and southern kingdom saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. That's the first verse in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender judgments. Blot out my transgressions? No, the multitude of thy tender mercies, he says. Have mercy upon me. He's calling, he's begging for mercy. He's begging for mercy. He doesn't ask for fairness. He he doesn't say, Lord, please be fair with me. You've been unfair with me. You haven't treated me right. He never does one time do you ever see him making a differentiation away from his justice. He knows he's a fair God. You stand before a just God. You don't have a word to say. You had nothing to say. All you can do is beg for his mercy. And he says, according to your statutes. Well, what does that mean? Teach me thy statutes. Well, if you know anything about God and if you learn his statutes, 
Mercy is woven all in his statutes. Long-suffering, mercy. These attributes are incredible. This next petition is very important. He says, teach me thy statutes and give me understanding. He wants to continue to learn, even in his old age. He wants to follow. So, you know, sometimes we think that we're invincible. And sometimes we see out (coughs) in the public that basically when people are having hard times, they go to everything but these statutes that the Lord gives. You know, what are some of the things that people do? They go to yoga, they go to Zumba, they go to psychics, they're just psychos, they go to psychiatrists, they go go to all these 12-step processes. Well, you know, I'm, the, I'm, I'm really, the, the 12-step process, I tell you, my brother had it, and there's a gentleman over at the dump that I, uh, that we, I go to often. He loves the Lord, and he told me, he said, that 12-step process led him to the Lord because they contained some of the tenets of the Sermon on the Mount. And he told me that, and he said, ever since then, I got saved. He says, I've never gone, I've never touched another drop of alcohol. Nothing. Not one beer a year, not one little glass. He said, I rent every, I never touched another drop of alcohol since the Lord saved me. That's what he said. And every time I see him there, he sits there and he checks my license. He, he, just, he knows me now, so he kind of lets me in, and he, we quote verses back and forth. He's wonderful. And he goes, good to see you, brother. Out of nowhere. Isn't that what Christians always say? They call you brother. And, it, and, and it's incredible that basically he turned to the Lord. The Lord wrenched his heart. And he said through the 12-step process it led him to Scripture. And he's quoting Scripture. And it's the understanding of the mercy of the Lord. What else can we cry out for? David was always saying, my desire is to serve thee. Show me every day how to do it better. To serve the Lord honestly and faithful. One must make his call and election sure. And it shall be made known by the testimonies of the Lord. And Christ made it very clear that what his doctrine is. And we see that in John chapter 7, verses 16 to 18. Could someone, we got a couple more minutes. Can someone read that real quick? John 7, verses 16 to 18. What do, you can read the what next verse and that'd be good. If we haven't read some powerful verses enough this morning, going all the way back to Job chapter 19, verses 19 to 6, 26, what powerful verses we hear. Does any, do we all know what the word doctrine means? Do we know what it is? Because I've heard many people say, well, what is doctrine? What, 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 what is doctrine? Do we know what it is? Yes, Marianne? Yes, doctrines. 
Rules. That's a great way to put it. Rules. Doctrines. God's rules. Lisa. Right. The do- doctrine is pulling out the rules, the mandates, the dominion mandates, and the history of what God has in Scripture and for what we are supposed to follow. And so we see here, with all of the questions being asked in religions, what is truth? It says the doctrine is mine because the unrighteousness of man, the doctrine is mine. I'm the one that's perfect. Is what Jesus is saying here. And it says here, as Teresa read here, we see he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. Do we see that any times at all today? People that speak of themselves when it comes to religion and seeks their own glory when God says the doctrine is mine? If the doctrine is mine, that takes us all the way back to David. We go back hundreds and hundreds of years, back from the time of Christ, and even David was pronouncing that the doctrine of the Redeemer and the doctrine of salvation is of Jesus Christ Himself. He wrote Psalm 1. The first three verses are about Christ. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That is a messianic prophecy. Everything that he did prospered. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in the season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he do, I'm going to add to that a little bit. Never did anything Christ ever did not prosper. It always prospered. And so here we see David is an older man now. And he's now speaking. David, as an older man, what I love about this, is he speaking to his younger man. And he's going back to his younger man and saying, I wished I would have spent far more time all the way through the hard times and I would have had the, the more faith in the Lord. He had great faith, he did. And we saw that exemplified through many events in his life. But he's saying here, I wished I'd have done more. I wished I would have cried out more. I wished I'd have went to battle and I wouldn't have been standing on top of that castle looking down at Bathsheba if I'd have trusted the Lord. Boy, would I have saved a lot of heartaches in my life if I would have done that. If the, if the Lord is going to be the surety and He is going to keep us from the oppressor, we have to trust in Him. And that's what we're learning here this morning. So that's about all the time we have. We're going to have to finish up now. Um, Greg, could you close us this morning? Thank you.